Thank you. Well, thank you guys. Happy Easter. Great to be here with you. And uh, if you have been coming for years or if this is your first time, it is great to be with you this morning. I hope you're enjoying the Easter break. And uh, I hope also that you have a good time with your families or with friends. We as a family, one of the things we do over Easter is have a little break and we love playing games. We always play games as a family. I have loved playing games since, uh, for, for as long as I can remember. I remember in my 20s, I lived with my uh, brother and his family, and uh, he had a young son called Alex, m my oldest nephew. And uh, Alex, when he was six, loved playing games. So I would come home from work, and he would greet me with, Simon, Uncle Simon, games tonight, games tonight. I was like, yes, Alex. But the problem with that was that Alex is a terrible loser and a terrible winner. He was just awful at losing and winning. And so what would happen is after a while, my, my sister-in-law, Helen, just got fed up with this. And so she said, Alex, whatever happens, whether you win or lose, you have to say to Uncle Simon, well done and thanks for playing. It just didn't work. Because when he won, he would be like, well done and thanks for playing. <laughs> and when he lost, he would be like, well and he would run upstairs. He was a terrible winner and a terrible loser. But I don't know if you're a good loser or a bad loser, but there is one point in life where we all lose. Death. Death. Sorry to bring a downer on the morning. Death. Here's my, uh, here's my favorite tombstone. I told you I was sick. And we laugh. But actually, death isn't funny. It's not funny, is it? We have recognized for, since the history of mankind, that death is our greatest enemy. It's the enemy that we all face. The death rate is at the moment, as it stands, 100%. We all die. And so we all face this dreadful, horrendous enemy. And for years, mankind, we've been trying to escape death, from the Egyptians with their mummies to the latest cosmetic surgery. I can tell you, I've never had cosmetic surgery. Who, who said we can tell? That's, kind of, that's unkind. We try to escape death. We try to push it back. We try to run away from it. But, you know, that is why... Today, an estimated 2.4 billion people are celebrating one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus. If you are here for the first time and you see the singing, the hands in the air, the arms waving, the crying out, the clapping, and you think, what is all this all about? It is about that one thing. Jesus is alive. That's what we believe. That is why we're excited, because... We believe that he is no longer dead. He has beaten death. He is alive. I heard a story of a man and his wife, an old, elderly man and his wife, who went to Jerusalem. And they went on holiday. And as they went on holiday, they fought the whole time. In fact, it was a, a picture of their whole marriage. They'd fought their entire marriage. They fought with one another the whole time. They fought through this holiday so much so that after, during the holiday, he had a heart attack, dropped dead and died. And so his wife went to the undertaker and, and he said, I'm afraid it's going to cost about £5,000 to ship the body back to, to, to your home. And she's like, I haven't got that kind of money. He said, well, he said, I guess he felt sorry for her. He said, look, I can, I can bury her here for £500. 
And she thought about it for a while, and she said, do you know what, I, I, I just need to get the body shipped back. I'll find the money somewhere. He said, why would you do that? I've got a perfectly good gravesite. We can bury him here for a lot, lot cheaper. And she said, listen, a long time ago, a man came to Jerusalem. He died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. I just can't take that chance. The claim of Christianity across the world is Jesus is... That wasn't a true story, by the way. The claim of Christianity, some of you are like, Jesus is alive. You know, the Bible says that God has spoken through creation. The Bible says that God has spoken through history. But the Bible says that above all of those, that God has spoken through the person of Jesus Christ. Here's a good question. How do we know that Jesus is the one? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. How do we know that Jesus is the one? It could be based on his life. He had a phenomenal, if you read the the New Testament, his life was amazing. It could be based on his teaching. Our whole civilization is based on his teaching. But actually, the greatest claim in the Bible is that we can know he's the one because he died and rose again. The resurrection is central to everything that we believe. And it also means that if it's true, every other claim that Jesus made is also true. He claimed that he was the one who could bring us to God, that there was no other way that we could come to God apart from through him. If he was raised from the dead, that also must be true. He also claimed that he could forgive us from our sin. No one else has claimed to be able to do that. He said that he could. If he was raised from the dead, that also is true. He also said that he was returning again and that he was going to make this world brand new as it was always meant to be. This corrupted, broken planet filled with corrupted, broken people was going to be made brand new. If he was raised from the dead, we can also believe that that is true. It's kind of a big deal. So I want to take a few minutes just to give you a story of three people who came to believe in the resurrection. It's from the Gospel of John And it's an eyewitness account. John claims to have been there, to have seen it. Now, I could read this story in a number of translations. There's lots of translations of the Bible which was written in Greek into English. You've got the Good News translation or the Message translation or the ESV or the NIV. You have a number of different translations, but I want to read to you from a a new translation that's just being worked on. It's the BCT, Bedford Contemporary Translation. (laughs) Here's the story then from John chapter 20 in the Bedford Contemporary Translation. So, Jesus, the great teacher, healer, prophet, even some would say, was crucified. He was dead. If the cross didn't kill him, then the spear thrust through his heart by trained Roman killers would have done it. I was there. I saw it. He was dead, all right. Deader than dead. Buried in a tomb... And there was this rumor that something weird was going to happen after he died. So they sealed the tomb with a massive stone. Guards placed outside. We were gutted. Then there was Mary, Mary Magdalene. Mad Mary, some called her. She was the one Jesus had driven out seven demons from. Trust me, you do not want to see the extended director's cut of that particular scene. (laughs) Well, she was always hanging around with us disciples. Anyway, she goes to the tomb very early. It was still dark. She comes running back. Jesus' body is gone. He's gone. The stone's moved and he's gone, she says. I can't find his body anywhere. Simon Peter and the disciple Jesus loved. That's me, by the way. I know the others hated it when I said that, but what can you do if you're the favorite? (laughs) 
Anyway, Simon Peter and I ran to the tomb. Mad Mary used to be as crazy as a bag of ferrets, but she was no idiot now. Something was up. She wanted to see for, we wanted to see for ourselves. Old Pete was a bit on the large side, not fat, but I always said that in the feeding of the 5,000, the real miracle was that even Pete got enough to eat. Anyway, <laughs> it was dawn. It was just breaking as we ran to the tomb. I was a faster runner, of course, and got there first. I know that seems like an irrelevant detail in the most important story ever told, but I've always been a little bit competitive. Anyway, I looked in from the doorway and I saw for myself, Mary was right, there was no body. The stone was gone. Pete arrives, huffing and puffing, and he walks straight in. We were stunned. The cloths used to wrap the body, they were, all still, they were all still there. And that was the crazy bit. Grave robbers, they wouldn't have unwrapped the body. They would have taken the body and the cloths. The cloths were the things that were worth the money. Standing there in the tomb, looking at it all, I believed. But we didn't really know what to do, so we went back home. Ah! Later, I found out we missed the real action. Mary, you know, Mad Mary, she comes back. It was dark when she'd come the first time, and so she came back for a better look. And there were two mahoosive angels. I've checked that. That's in the original Greek. There were two <laughs> mahoosive angels were sat down where the body was, was, should have been. And they said, why are you crying? She's like, duh, because the one person who made sense of everything is dead right now, and they've stolen the body. She was always had a bit of a temper, did Mad Mary. <laughs> Didn't matter who you were. Anyway. She turns round and there's this guy there. He says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She's like, what is this? Can't a girl have a good old sob without a bit of privacy? She thinks he's the gardener. I don't know why. But she says, if you know where he is, please tell me. He says one word, Mary. She told me later that she just lost it at that point. She knew that voice. That was the same voice that set her free from those dangly demons all those years ago. She fell down at his feet, master. He tells her not to cling to him because he hasn't yet ascended and that he, she should go and tell his brothers that he was ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Whoa, he's never called us brothers before. Something's different. So she ran for it and she came bursting in. I've seen the Lord. It confirmed what I already thought, but to be honest, the others didn't know what to do, what to think. And so we set the precedent for all future Christians. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Have a meeting. <laughs> we locked the doors because the Jewish leaders were madder, madder than, were nutters, madder than Mad Mary, but they had swords. And so we locked the doors, and then suddenly he appears. He says, Shalom, peace be with you. He showed us his hands and his side. Then he commissioned us. He said, as the Father sends me, I'm sending you. He breathed on us. Receive the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what, they've got some great breath mints in heaven. <laughs> but there was this problem. Thomas missed it. I thought I was bad. Tommy, what a plum. Even worse, when we told him, he doesn't believe us. He says, unless I put my hands in his side and place my fingers in the marks in his hands, I will never believe. I thought to myself, you, my friend, are about to be the biggest prized banana in the history of award-winning bananas. <laughs> it wasn't long. About eight days later, we were together again, another meeting. Jesus appears again. The funny thing was, he didn't look at any of us. All eyes turned to Thomas. He went a shade of white, a little bit green actually. And Jesus says, go on then, put your hands in my side and see my hands. Don't disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. 
Thomas, though, said something extraordinary. My Lord and my God. I was a bit freaked out at the time. That's blasphemy. But it wasn't until later that I realised that old doubting Tommy got the last laugh. He'd grasped something that the rest of us didn't get till later. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? There's a special blessing on those who haven't seen me, but still believe. That, my friends, is my story. I know I was there. That's the, uh, as yet, as yet unreleased Bedford contemporary version. Shall I keep going? I'm working my way. No, maybe not. I'll leave it there. Three people in that story, just very briefly as we finish, three people come to faith in that story. The first is John. He came to faith because he saw the evidence that he was the eyewitness. It says he stood in the tomb, and in John chapter 20, verse 8, he says, I saw and I believed. And you might think, well, that's all right for John. He was right there. He was in the empty tomb. He saw and believed. Of course he did. But you know what? The evidence for the resurrection is so strong, it echoes through history even to today. In the 18th century, there was a man called Gilbert West, and Gilbert West hated that his friends were becoming Christians, so he decided to write a book disproving the resurrection. The evidence was so strong that halfway through he encountered Jesus himself and wrote his book the other way around to prove the resurrection. In the 19th century there was a man called Lou Wallace who wrote a book to disprove the resurrection. By chapter 4 he had found so much evidence that he too met Jesus and wrote his book the other way around and called his book Ben-Hur which was made into a movie. You should watch it sometime. And then in the 20th century, there was a man, a lawyer, a journalist called Frank Morrison. He wrote a book to disprove Christianity, and he got so much evidence that halfway through the book, he also met Jesus, and he called his book, Who Moved the Stone? The moral of the story is, if you're in a hurry to meet Jesus, try and write a book disproving the resurrection. (laughs) It's a great way to get saved. In fact, we're scrapping the Alpha course. We're just going to write books disproving the resurrection. The evidence is so strong. You've got the evidence of the empty tomb. There are eyewitness accounts that Jesus was di- that died and was buried in that tomb, and yet there is no other explanation that I have seen that explains how that tomb was then empty. You've got the evidence of the resurrection appearances. Over 500 people claim to have seen Jesus, and many of them wrote their stories down that Jesus was alive and appeared to them. And it wasn't just his friends and his fans. It was skeptics and cynics. You know, who here's got a, who's, here's got a brother who thinks, he's God. Who believes him? (laughs) But the reality was James had a brother who thought he was God. James was the brother of Jesus and Jesus claimed to be God and James did not believe him until after Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead, appeared to James and James converted to follow his own brother as the Messiah and God and became a leader in the early church. And you've got skeptics and cynics like Paul and others who claim to have had these resurrection appearances. People that would not likely sign up to such a thing. They paid with their lives for it. And then you've got the evidence of the rise of Christianity out of nothing. Uh, A faith that started in a backwater place, in a backwater town, in a backwater nation, in a backwater time in history goes on to conquer the known world from a few uneducated fishermen. You've got to explain that somehow. The evidence for the resurrection is so, so compelling. I don't have time to go into more detail, but you can read more about it in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, and many other books of the same uh, ill. I am a Christian because of the evidence. The second thing 
that happens is this. Mary comes to faith, and she comes to faith for a different reason. She comes to faith because of his voice. This is what it says. She didn't know what to make of this whole thing until she heard his voice say, Mary. And when she heard his voice, she knew. She knew that this was Jesus, and she believed. You know, Jesus said that he's like a good shepherd. And he said, like a good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice. And it's a a truth that's available for all of us, even as Christians today. I was stressing out recently about some decision I had to make one way or the other. And then suddenly I remembered, Jesus is the good shepherd. I can hear his voice. I'm his sheep. I'm a sheep. And so I can hear the shepherd's voice. That's quite a good impression, actually. I was quite pleased with that. I can hear his voice. He speaks to us. If you're a believer here today, know this this Easter. He's a good shepherd and you can hear his voice. And that was my story. And you heard it in Fernando's story, didn't you? You heard that fa- the fact that he heard the echoes of God through his life. That was my story. I was 19. I was an atheist. I did not believe in God. I was running from the God that I brought up to believe in and did not believe in him. I was an atheist. And yet one June hot night, I came to faith in Christ. I heard his voice. I heard him calling me. I had questions. I had doubts. But I heard him. And I knew that he was calling me to follow him. I later looked back on my life. And in the good times and the bad times, I recognized his voice. Sometimes through the words of a a friend. Sometimes the words of a stranger. Sometimes a, a chance encounter. I saw his voice speaking to me right the way through my life. I was speaking at a meeting recently, like this one, and I asked a lady afterwards, she was a Muslim and she came to faith in Christ, and I said, why? And she said, because it was like you were speaking to no one apart from me. And you know, that's not my skill or ability, that's Jesus. (laughs) She heard his voice, and she responded to his voice. And some of you are feeling that today through the stories, through the worship, even through my words I'm sharing with you, you are hearing his voice. He is calling you, follow him. And then thirdly, just lastly, Peter, Thomas, the other disciples, they come to faith because they encountered Jesus. You might say, well, it's okay for them. They saw the resurrected Christ. But Jesus says this in John 20, verse 29. He says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? There's a special blessing for those who have not seen and have yet believed. You see, I can't see the wind, but I can feel its power. I can encounter the wind without ever seeing it. And many have that experience today. Some experience and encounter Jesus through dreams and visions. Like the man I met, and he became a believer, even though he was not a believer for many years. His wife was a believer, and he used to mock her, and he hated her for it. And then one night, Jesus appeared to him in a dream and baptized him in his own dream. He woke his wife up at 2 a.m. and said, what do I need to do to become a follower of Jesus? He encountered him in a dream. Some people encounter Jesus through his power to heal. You know, we prayed recently, a couple of weeks ago, with a lady who had 10 years of rheumatic arthritis, pain in her body for a decade. In two minutes, as we prayed in the name of Jesus, she was completely pain-free and ran up and down the stairs to prove it. She encountered Jesus through his power to heal. Ruby had that in her story. And many encountered Jesus through his power to forgive like a friend of mine whose heart was wrecked through his sin and his debt and the misery he had made of his life. And then he encountered Jesus, and Jesus forgave him. And in that moment, he knew a cleanness and a purity that he'd never known before, and he encountered 
the risen Lord Jesus. I was talking with a guy once after I'd become a believer many years later. He is an atheist, and he said to me, how can you know, Simon? How can you know for sure that there is a God? And I said, you know what? When I first took, responded to that voice, I didn't have all my questions answered. I still had doubts, but I knew what I knew, and I knew I needed to follow, doubts and all. I said, but 20 years on, I have seen so many things. I've seen so many supernatural events that have got no natural explanation. I've probably seen a hundred of them, if not more, in the last 20 years. And he said, wow. And as I was driving home afterwards, a little voice said to me, have you really seen a hundred? I thought, I hope I didn't just lie. That would be awful. And so I decided to take a couple of weeks to write them down. So Caroline and I, we took two weeks to write down all the supernatural, the things that we couldn't possibly explain that happened in our lives. And between us, we got more than 100. Some of you, that would be a great exercise as a family over Christmas. Just write down. So often we're focused on the things that God has not yet done when we should first focus on the things that he has done in our lives. You know, I'm a Christian today because I believe the evidence and I've looked into it. I've heard his voice, but also I've encountered Jesus, and I know many others who have as well. I haven't physically seen him like Peter saw him, but I've seen, I've seen his power, and I've seen his touch, and I've seen the way he changes people. You know, many want to hold God to ransom. God, if you just appear to me, then I'll believe in you. But the scriptures are quite clear. It doesn't work like that. God says this, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I have to come to God humbly. I have to come recognizing that he is God, and I am not, and I cannot demand things of him, but I come with humility and say, God, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you with all my heart. And when I come like that, I tell you what, you will find him. And some of you are going to find him even this morning as you respond to Christ.